Before we go into our time of teaching, I do want to just acknowledge that today is Father's Day, and we want to say how much we appreciate all of the godly fathers who are in this room, and how much we want to celebrate what Jesus does through godly dads each and every day throughout our lives. And, and so, dads, I hope you didn't get too comfortable because I had you sit down because I'm going to make you stand up in just one second. Um, but I want to pray a prayer of blessing over our fathers. And before I do that, I also want to acknowledge that for many individuals in this fellowship, Father's Day is a, is a difficult day this year. For some of you, uh, your own earthly father has sinned against you has been a person that did not live into God's call for fatherhood. And I know many of your stories include that dynamic. And my prayer for you this morning is that as you celebrate Father's Day, you would rejoice that you have a good and faithful father in heaven. That God is a father to the fatherless who loves and cares for his children in a way that us earthly fathers, even the best of us, never possibly could. So I pray that would be your heart if you haven't known a healthy relationship with your own earthly father. And then in addition to that, I know that for some of you, this is the first Father's Day without dad around the table. And your heart grieves. And our heart grieves with you. And so what you know, I'm praying that God would give grace to you. As you celebrate today, you would celebrate the gift that was your father, and the gift that eternity holds as we get to gather again in the kingdom of our great God. So we're praying for those of you who would say today is a day of joy and of sorrow as we celebrate Father's Day. And with that, I'm going to ask all of our dads to stand up. Go ahead and join me in standing, dads, and we want to celebrate you and pray over you today. We're grateful for you, Dad. We're grateful for you. And we want to pray a prayer of blessing over you. So church, let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, I thank you for the men that are standing. And God, I pray that even their standing in this room would be a picture of how they are standing each and every day in the gap that exists in this world. Lord, the gap that exists between what this world should be and what this world actually is. And what this world defines fatherhood to be. And what you define fatherhood to be. So Lord, I pray these would be men who truly do stand in the gap in their homes and in the lives of their children. And Father, I pray that you would fill them with the power of your Holy Spirit. That Father, they would live with boldness and strength as men of God for such a time as this. Give them wisdom, Lord, as they navigate with their families this shifting, changing culture in which we live. Help them to speak words with bold and clear biblical truth, but also, Lord, help their lives to demonstrate bold, clear biblical truth. Lord, we thank you for our dads. God, I thank you for my dad. Just thank you for giving me a godly man. I pray he would be blessed today. And so, God, we thank you. Thank you that you are a father to us, and we pray blessing over the dads in this room and for all those who celebrate Father's Day today. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, dads. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, I'd ask you to go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This week, I read that approximately 64 million Americans are members of 
of a health club or a gym. If you're a health club member or a gym member, would you raise your hand? Let's see just how, how that's a lot of you. Okay, so here's, here's really the big question. How many of you are actively going to your health club or gym? Okay, it's a little bit smaller number right there. I'm going to just tell you, I am a member of a local health club. I've got a little card that gives me entrance and access to that gym, and I can work out there anytime I want whenever they are open. It's actually a benefit that our health insurance carrier provides, so I don't actually have to pay for that out of my pocket, and I think that's actually pretty cool as well. But let me give you a little quick confession. Can, I, can your pastor make a confession to you this morning without you judging him? Okay. Um, I almost never go to the gym, all right? I mean, I don't even go once a year on average because I'd rather just work out at my house than in a health club. I don't want to see myself in a mirror lifting a puny amount of weight. I don't want to see other people looking in themselves in the mirror, hoping I notice how good they look. I don't want any of that. So I just work out at my house. But guess what? I'm still a member of a health club. Even though I never go and even though I'm never seen at my gym, I'm still a member. You know why? Because attendance and participation are not requirements for membership. I don't even have to pay to be a member because someone else has paid for me to be a member. So my gym membership is real and technically active and it has almost zero impact on my day-to-day life. The reason I bring that up is because I am afraid that many so-called Christians in our nation approach church membership the way I approach membership at my gym. Attendance and participation aren't required. And it's cool so long as it doesn't cost us anything. And I want you to know, church, that is not the biblical idea of church membership. And so the question I want to ask this morning is, what does it mean to be a church member? Even more, what does it look like to be a healthy, biblical member of the church of Jesus Christ? That's the primary question that I want us to ask and consider this morning. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to help give us a baseline on what it is to be a member of a church. And before we dig in, let me give you a little bit of context as to what's happening since we haven't been studying the book of 1 Corinthians. Corinthians. In this letter, Paul is writing to the Christians in the city of Corinth, and he's writing because this church was seriously messed up. I mean, they had massive issues. As you go through 1 Corinthians, you find that he might as well be writing to the first apostate church of America because they had all the issues we have in our churches all across this nation. They were divided over who they thought their favorite leader should be and how they were superior to all the other leaders. They had open sexual immorality among their members. Many of them were selfish and used the church to meet their needs and get whatever they wanted without giving anything back. And so Paul writes this letter to these people to address those issues in their church. And in the section that we'll be studying, chapters 12 through 14, which by the way, we won't be studying all of 12 through 14, so you can take a breath. You'll get lunch with dad this afternoon. But in this section, Paul is teaching about spiritual gifts 
being used in a local church. And what he's namely showing us is that every follower of Jesus Christ has a specific gifting, a specific ability given and empowered by Jesus through the Holy Spirit that's to be exercised as part of the church of Jesus Christ. Every single one of you who's following Jesus, who's born again, has a gift that's meant to be used in service to the rest of the body of Jesus Christ. That's God's design for all of his people. That's what this section is sharing with us. And he's teaching how we should use those gifts in a proper and healthy way as members of a church. And right here in the middle of that section, he gives us several truths, several ideas that help us actually understand what it means to be a healthy biblical member of a church. And so I want you to look at me with, with me at our text in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm just going to start by reading one verse that's in the middle of that section on spiritual gifts. It's a clarifying word for us. It says this, Verse 27, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. That's a straightforward, simple truth, but it is a baseline on what we mean when we talk about being members of a church. When we refer to being a church member, we use the word the way Paul's using it in this text. We don't mean a member of a club or just a social group. We mean a member of an actual body, the body of Jesus Christ. And I want, I want you to think about something as you look at what Paul's saying here, because it's really important, especially given what we learned through our study, the book of Galatians at the first part of this year. In Galatians 2.20, we learn that when you come to faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, a miracle takes place. You are united to Jesus in a way that Jesus himself, through the ministry of the Spirit, literally lives in you. He lives his life in your life, including your body. That's what Galatians 2.20 says. He says, the life I now live in the flesh, in this actual body, I live by faith and Christ lives in me, in my flesh. And so in that way, when you trust in Jesus, Jesus comes to live in your own body through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And as I was thinking about that truth and read verse 27, I've got to tell you, I think it would be somewhat expected that given what happens there when Jesus lives in each one of us through faith, that verse 27 would read something more like this. You are the bodies of Jesus Christ, since Jesus lives in each of your bodies. But that's not what verse 27 says at all. He says, you, and the word you there is plural. It's y'all, y'all, right? It's a plural you. He says, all y'all are the body. The word body is singular. He doesn't just say y'all are the bodies of Christ because Jesus lives in each one of your bodies. He doesn't say that. He intentionally teaches us a new dynamic, a different truth. He says all of y'all together comprise the singular, the body of Christ. And he clarifies it in that second phrase by making sure we understand exactly what he means. He says, and you as an individual, you are blessed to be a part of the body of Christ. And you are blessed to be a part of the body of Christ, but he's making sure we understand you as an individual are only a part 
of the body of Christ. You aren't the whole body of Christ. And here's what that means. Here's what Paul is pressing in for us. We need to be connected to other believers, other parts of the body in order to be a functioning part of the body of Christ. Let me just say that again because it's so important and critical to what Paul is teaching us. We And when I say we, I mean you, need to be connected to other believers in order to be a functioning part of the body of Christ. And being connected to other believers, you know where that really happens? In the context of a church, because the church is the body of Christ. You see, he uses that word in the very next verse. Look at verse 28. He interchangeably uses these two phrases, the body of Christ in verse 27. And then in verse 28, he says, and God has appointed to the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. He's saying the church is the body of Christ. So when he says, y'all are the body of Christ, it's right for him to follow up in the next verse by saying, and the Lord has appointed in the church because the church is the body of Christ and the body of Christ is the church. You with me so far? The body of Christ is the and the church is the body of Christ. All right, you guys are doing well. And if you were here two weeks ago, you might remember though, that the New Testament uses the word church in two distinct ways. First, the word church is used to describe all believers in Christ from every place on earth throughout all time. We call that the universal church. That church will be gathered fully and finally one day around the throne of God in heaven. That's where the universal church will one day gather forever. So the church sometimes is referring to the universal church of Jesus, all believers in all place from all time. But there's another way that the New Testament uses the word church. Church also describes local gatherings of believers in Jesus who gather in a specific place at a specific time. So there's one universal church of Jesus in which all believers are a part of, but there are many churches throughout the world, churches like First Baptist Church, Merritt Island, and we call those churches local churches. The local church is the expression on the earth of the universal church of Jesus Christ. And so because the New Testament uses the word church in those two ways, if you're thinking through this Bible study, you should ask the question, in what way is Paul using the word church in this text? And I'll tell you, okay, you ready? He's talking about the local church. And there are lots of reasons why I would say that this is the local church. But one reason I say this is the local church is because Paul tells us that's who he's talking about. The very first section of this letter starts like this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. To the church of God. Now notice he's talking about a specific group in a specific place. That's a local church. To the church of God that is in Corinth. Now, this isn't on the screens, but as you go through the rest of the letter, you find that Paul keeps talking about this local church being distinct from the other churches. As a matter of fact, you can write this down and look, look it up later, but in the previous chapter, chapter 11, verse 16, he's talking about something that had been taking place, and he uses the, the plural word, in, in the churches. So there was some issues taking place in the churches. And then he tells this group of people, when you gather as a church, he's distinguishing that when he says church to them, he's talking about them as a 
church. And so what he's talking about here in 1 Corinthians 12 is a local church in the city of Corinth. And we need to put that all together with what I just said about being a functioning member of the body of Christ. When Paul says that believers have to be connected to other believers to function as the body of Christ, what he's essentially saying is that believers have to be connected to believers in a local church body to live out our God-given design, the one that he gave us as part of his body, then we are called to live in connection and commitment to a local church. And that actually gives us our big idea for this morning. You are designed to live in committed connection to a local church. And that's why membership matters. Because there's no such thing as Lone Ranger Christianity. Did you know that? You don't find in the New Testament at all any idea of a follower of Jesus just going through their Christian life all by themselves. You know why? Because God has designed you to live differently than that. He's designed you to be a part of a body, the body of Christ expressed in a local church. And have you ever thought about the fact that one of the reasons God gave you a body is so that you could understand how you're called to live out your Christian life? And I'm not going to ask you what your body teaches you about the church. That's a dangerous place to go. But I am going to ask what you could learn from bodies about the church of Jesus Christ. So for instance, how long do parts of the body survive without being attached to the body? Not long at all, right? If you get in an accident and you lose a finger or a toe or any other part of your body, the clock is urgently ticking, right? You can't survive as a part of a body disconnected from the body. And that's what God is teaching us through our own bodies about his design for our lives as followers of Jesus. He says, it's contrary to my design for you to be a part of a body that's disconnected from a body. Each part has to be connected to the rest of the body. Like the deep, theologically rich hymn of old says, the knee bone is connected to the thigh bone. Hear the word of the Lord, people, right? We are made to be connected. And so church, I want to say to you, Follower of Jesus Christ, hear the word of God. Y'all are the body of Jesus Christ. I mean, just think about that. Jesus lives on this earth. Jesus lives through a body on this earth. Have you ever thought how awesome it would be to live while Jesus lived in a body on this earth? I have my whole life. Man, it'd be so awesome to just see Jesus miraculously working as he lived in a body here on this earth. Did you know that Jesus has never stopped living in a body on this earth? Jesus has never wanted to move his miracle working power out of the earth when he went to be in heaven with the Father. He intended to use his miracle working power to change this earth through a body on this earth. And y'all are the body of Jesus Christ. And individually, you're members of it. So listen, the question I really just want to ask is this. Are you then living as a part of the body of Christ? Are you living in a committed, connected relationship with a local 
church body. Listen, whether it's this one or another, and there are many faithful biblical churches in this community, and we would love you to be a part of this one, but I want you to know, I want you to be where God wants you to be, but I know this, God wants you to be in a body. And whether it's this one or another one, I encourage you to ask that question. Are you living in a day-to-day, year-to-year commitment to a local expression of the body of Christ? Are you part of a church family? Listen, if you are living disconnected from the church, you're missing out on what Jesus has designed your life to be. His miracle-working power flowing in you and through you in the body of Jesus Christ on this earth. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you, even this morning, even right now, to make your mind up by faith in Jesus that you, as soon as possible, if you're not already committed to a local church, that you won't go another day without pursuing prayerfully the direction of God to be a part of a local church. It's how God has designed your life as a follower of Jesus. It's why membership Matters, and, and here's what I want to do in the time that we have left. I want to just look at a few descriptions that surround our text from this morning about what it actually looks like to be a member of a healthy biblical local church. Now, you could read all of the New Testament and find there's teaching for hours and hours and weeks and weeks and years and years about what healthy biblical churches look like. It's what we have in the New Testament. That's direction to local churches. And I just don't have time to eat lunch with my family and preach the whole New Testament. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to limit my thoughts to a few truths we see in the context that we've been studying so far here in 1 Corinthians 11 and 12 and 13 and 14. And we won't go through all those verses either, but let's look at the first description we see. Healthy biblical churches are committed to following They're spiritual leaders. Now, I don't bring that up because I'm a spiritual leader. I bring that up because that's the next thing that Paul alludes to in our text. Verse 27 says, you're the body of Christ, individually members of it. Verse 28 immediately says, and God has appointed in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. God has placed spiritual leaders who are gifted to lead the church of God by the power of his spirit, to lead the ministry of God through the authority of his word as part of his design for the church. And healthy biblical churches follow God's design for spiritual leadership. The most common term that you find in the New Testament for the spiritual leaders of a church is the term elder. It occurs more than any other word to describe the office of spiritual leader in a local church. It's just a a kind of a a general term that's referring to pastors and overseers and those that are appointed by God to lead. And you guys can go through those... those verses on your own time, if you want to write those down that I've got on the screen and see that it's normative that every local church, every local New Testament church would have God-appointed elders or pastors who would oversee the ministry of those churches. But I want to read you one verse in particular that describes the relationship between pastors or leaders and the people they lead. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says this, obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. You know the difference between joy and groaning? I do. (laughs) And the Bible says you guys have a part in that being 
a part of your pastor's lives. He says, let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, just think through the dynamic that God is giving us here. He says, listen, I've placed leaders, spiritual leaders in your life, and your call is to follow their leadership. And know that as you follow their leadership, they're going to give an account to me. They're going to stand before me one day, and I will hold all of them accountable for how they led. He says, listen, you're called to follow the leaders of your church. And then you, when you think about that commandment, I hope you realize that in order for you as a follower of Jesus to obey this part of Scripture, that means that you have to acknowledge what church you're a part of in order to acknowledge which leaders God has commanded you to follow. Does that make sense? If you're not a part of any particular church, then what particular leaders are you called to obey? How do you obey that command? Is it every leader in every church? I mean, do you have to obey Joel Osteen and John MacArthur? Because that's going to be hard. They disagree on everything. (laughs) Who do you follow to obey this command if you're not connected and committed to a local body of believers? You're called by God to identify with a specific local church that has recognized spiritual leaders. And then the second part of Hebrews 13 says, those leaders will then have to give an account for their leadership. And I want you to just think through. This is one of the reasons why we practice something called formal church membership. Not every church practices formal church membership. What we mean by that is that people have to formally commit to be a part of this local church in order to be considered members. You have to show your profession of faith. You have to acknowledge Christ as your profession of faith through baptism, by immersion. And you have to say, God has called me to be a member of this church. And one of the reasons for that is, one, so that you'll know which spiritual leaders you're called to follow, but also because spiritual leaders will have to give an account to God for the people under their care. And how do we as pastors know who we're called to care for? How are we to know who we're called to shepherd if there are not people saying, you are my God-appointed leaders? This is my God-appointed church. So let me just ask the followers of Jesus two questions. Who are your spiritual leaders? And is it the desire of your heart to follow them? To pray that as they stand before God, and it is a sobering thing, church, be hard for me to describe what it actually feels like to wake up in the morning and know I'm going to stand before Almighty God and I'm going to give an account for you. One day I'm going to answer for how I shepherded you, for what it was that I did as your pastor to point you to Jesus and teach you the word of God how I prioritized whatever it was that I prioritized. All of our pastors feel that sobriety. It's a sobering thing. Is it the desire of your heart to follow biblical leadership? And is it the desire of your heart to pray for the spiritual well-being of your pastors? If not, would you pray for God to give you spiritual health? Because healthy biblical churches are filled with members who follow spiritual leaders. And church, I just want to say this right now because it's the perfect time to do that. I want to say thank you for being the kind of people who make my work a joy and not a groaning. Thank you. I'm serving in my 19th year as one of your pastors. And I've got... 
And they said it never last. <laughs> it shows the tolerance and patience that you have as a church. And I want you to know this. You need to hear this because I say it on behalf of the rest of your pastors. I want you to know that it has been an absolute joy. I mean, a hard and heavy joy, but an absolute joy to be your pastor. And I say thank you. I love you. Your pastors love you. And we love you because God has placed a love in our heart for you, but we also love you because you are so lovable. Most of you. No, all of you are so lovable. Listen, healthy biblical churches are committed to following their spiritual leaders. And it says a lot about the health of you as a follower of Jesus Christ, that you would enable me and our other pastors to serve here now for decades together in the kingdom of God. Thank you, church, for being those kinds of people. Second, healthy biblical churches not only are committed to following spiritual leaders, healthy biblical churches are committed to gathering, to gathering. Right before chapter 12 in in the section we're in, right there in chapter 11, you find this phrase describing this church of God. Verse 18 of chapter 11 says, for in the first place, when you, now look at this phrase, when you come together as a church. That's a great phrase, and he uses that a lot through chapter 11 because he's identifying the fact that in order to be a healthy church, the church has to come together. As a matter of fact, that's what the word church actually means. The word church translates the Greek word ekklesia, and that word means an assembly of people. The most fundamental understanding of what it is to be a church is to be a gathering of God's people. And here's a little insight that might just blow your mind, okay? This will show you how thoughtful I actually am. You can't have an assembly of people unless you have people who assemble. Boom. (laughs) If you're visiting here, I'm always that profound. You can't have an assembly of people unless you have people who assemble. And that means that a church member includes being committed to gathering with the body of Jesus Christ. Listen to another verse from Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 says this. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Part of our relationship as brothers in Christ, part of being the body is to encourage one another, to stir one another up to love and good works. But verse 25 tells us how God's designed for that to take place for the most part. Verse 25 says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see that? He says, you are designed to love and encourage one another, to stir other believers and to be stirred to love and good works through encouragement. And that happens largely when you do not neglect to come together and meet as the church of Jesus Christ. Guys, whether it is in a worship setting like this or a small group that we call connection classes because it's places for members of a church to connect with one another, you need to know there is no substitute for the connection you get when you gather with other believers. And Hebrews says that we should actually be more and more committed to gathering with church 
the closer and closer we get to the return of Jesus Christ. You know why? Because this blasted world is falling apart. Because it's dark and it's sinful and it's difficult. And there are winds blowing across your life and your marriage and your family. And you need other believers who will encourage you in Christ. And stir you up to love what you should love the way you should love it. Because you're not going to get that in the world. You're going to get a call to love what you shouldn't love. A way you shouldn't love it when you live in this dark and fallen world. And more and more that will be the case the closer and closer we get to the return of Jesus Christ. The more committed we are as believers in Jesus Christ, the more committed we are to the gathering of the church, the closer we get to the return of Christ. And guys, it breaks my heart and it should break yours because that's the exact opposite of what we see taking place in the American church. We're getting nearer and nearer to the coming of Jesus Christ. And we're seeing fewer and fewer so-called Christians committed to gathering with a local church. I shared with you just two weeks ago that over the last 20 years, church participation in America has plummeted from just over 70% to just over 40%, just in the last 20 years. And those numbers don't capture the dynamics that we are seeing today in a post-pandemic America. Churches like us had to make the painful decision to stop meeting for a period of time. That was a way to try and care for one another. And it was difficult. It was hard, but I believe it was what God was calling us to do. But church, we've got to be really clear. That was never intended to be a permanent dynamic. I want you to listen to me, okay? Because I want to be very careful in how I say this. I am so thankful that we have the ability for hundreds of people, and we have hundreds of people, who are part of this church family, who join us every week online. I'm so thankful. And if that's you this morning, I'm so thankful that we have the technology for members of this church to gather with us online. And I want you to know that many are doing that because there are valid health concerns that they have. We have many shut-ins who are unable to leave their home at all. And I love the fact that they are able to gather with us each and every week. And so for those who join us every week online because it's a part of a valid health concern or issue that they have or they're shut in and are unable to leave their home, you need to know you are loved, you are with With us in spirit, we praise God for the ability to gather together in this way. I really do understand that. But we also have to acknowledge another dynamic. And it's that countless people in our country stopped gathering with their churches during the height of the pandemic and then disconnected indefinitely from their church. And over the year or so, while sports venues are full again and schools are in person again, a significant number of people in our nation have just slipped away from their church. Or they've replaced their commitment to a local church with watching someone on television. Many not even doing that. And I just want to say, because we need to hear the word of God, life in a local church is not designed to be a virtual experience. 
The church is a gathering, a gathering of people committed to see and love each other and stir one another up to love and good works. And again, hear me, I understand there are individuals who are unable to do that in a healthy way. We understand that, but that's not supposed to be normative to all of our lives. The church is a gathering and healthy biblical churches are committed to gathering on Father's Day and in the summer and during the rest of the year. It's an indicator of spiritual health. And here's what I know. And I want to just say this out loud. I, want to, I don't know how else I would say it. I guess internally, I'm saying a lot of things inside apparently that I don't say out loud. But listen, I wanted to say, if you're hearing me say this, you are likely committed to being a part of a local church, right? You're here. You're engaging. And I praise God, and you should too, because that is an indicator of spiritual health. Healthy biblical churches are committed to gathering with one another. And then we'll end on this one. Number three, healthy biblical churches are committed to growing with one another. Look at the verses right before our primary text, verses 24 through 26 of chapter 12. He says, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have, notice this phrase, the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. You see what he's saying? Paul is talking about the connection that we should have with the other members of the body of Christ. And he says that God designs us and desires for us to care for one another. In other words, we should care for the well-being of the other people who are a part of our church family. And he's primarily talking about spiritual care and spiritual well-being. But then he says something really critical. He says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. Have you ever stubbed your little toe? It causes your whole body to absolutely writhe in pain. Maybe I should say, it causes my whole body to absolutely right. You know why? Because our bodies are connected. One part suffers, the whole body suffers with it. Same with the body of Jesus Christ. So then each of us should be committed. We should be committed to caring for one another because my spiritual health affects you and your spiritual health affects me. And what that means then is if you're going to be a healthy biblical member of a local church, you have to be committed to your own spiritual growth because your spiritual well-being affects the people around you. In other words, let me say this. If you're going to be a healthy member of a local church, then you have to be committed to do more than just showing up and remaining the same. As a matter of fact, I've actually thought about having some bumper stickers printed up that say, First Baptist Merritt Island, show up and grow up. Think that's a good one? I don't, I don't know. We'll see. No. Seriously, though, when we gather, God is saying you should come to grow. And here's what that looks like. It looks like learning the truth of the Bible. It looks like the truth of the Bible exposing the areas of our life that need to change, that need to be laid down before Jesus, submitted to him, and the places in our life of unbelief that need to be stirred into faith so that we would trust Jesus the way we're called to trust him. It means that you should want the kind of teaching that confronts your sin and calls you to to repent. Listen to me. If you are looking for a church home, I want to challenge you to prayerfully consider what kind of church home God's calling you to be a part of. 
And I want to encourage you. Look for a church that would unapologetically preach the whole counsel of God and call you to be more and more and more like Jesus. I know there are plenty of churches that offer sermons and teaching that seem to be designed to make you feel better about yourself. I want to encourage you, look for a church that focuses on leading you to feel better about Jesus about knowing him and being known by him, about becoming more and more like him as he transforms you. The kind of preaching and teaching and believing that looks at our lives through the lens of God's word and unapologetically believes that what God says is true, even if it's unpopular in culture. Healthy church members are committed to spiritual growth that's rooted and grounded in the truth of God's word. But listen, this isn't just about your spiritual growth. This entire section of 1 Corinthians is about serving other people as part of the body of Jesus Christ. So it's not just that you should seek spiritual growth. It's that you should also seek for others to grow spiritually. You're called to love them and serve them as part of the church family. And I want to show you a great question. Let's end with this great question Paul asks at the end of this section. You look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 where he concludes the teaching about spiritual gifts. And he says this in verse 6. Verse 6 he says, Now brothers... If I come to you speaking in tongues, notice this question, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Do you hear what he's saying? When he's talking about serving the church through the use of our gifts, the fundamental question he asks is this, how will I benefit you? Guys, that's a great question. That's a question healthy members of a body of Christ ask routinely, how can I benefit you? And do you realize something? That's the exact opposite question that many of the consumer-driven, church-hopping, ministry-shopping Americans ask when they're looking at a church. They don't ask, how can I benefit you? They ask, how can they benefit me? And that is not God's design for our lives. God doesn't just place us in the body so the body would benefit us. Yes, we are blessed by the body, but we're also placed in the body to be a benefit to others. You don't just show up because it's good for you. You don't just engage because it's good for you. It is good for you, but it's good for those who are around you. God's designed you to serve, to invest, to, to help others grow and seek new ways to encourage them. So let me just ask you this. How are you serving in the body? How are you showing up each and every week asking the question, how can I benefit them? And this week is a great example got VBS going on. It is awesome. It's going to be exciting to have this room filled with little boys and little girls from throughout this community. We're going to get to tell the next generation about the truth of who Jesus is and what he desires for their life. I'm excited about Vacation Bible School. And you know what? It's not just going to happen. If those kids show up and there aren't people here to love them and lead them, this building will be gone next week and they won't hear about Jesus and they won't see his love because it will require the people of this body to say, how will I benefit them? That's the call of Christ. And that's 
What marks healthy biblical churches? So that's why membership matters. And I just want to ask this question as we close. Is church membership a part of your life? Or is it like my gym membership? Participation and attendance aren't required. And it's all cool so long as it doesn't cost us anything. That's not God's design for you. You are the body of Christ, y'all. And individually, members of it. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? There are several ways to respond. Some of you have never placed your faith and trust in Jesus. And I want to encourage you right now, would you call on Jesus as your Lord and Savior? You can be united to Christ in a way that provides forgiveness of your sin and restoration with God as your one true father if you will call on Jesus as Lord and Savior. So if you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ right now, would you just call on Jesus? Acknowledge your sin. And by faith, trust that he lived the perfect life you couldn't live and died on the cross as a payment for your sin and that he rose again from the dead to raise you up to a brand new kind of life. Call on Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, are you committed to a local church? Maybe God's calling you to be a part of this one and to not just attend, but to say, I'm committed to be a healthy part of this local church. If God's stirring your heart to make that step, to follow him into church membership, I want to invite you to come at the close of this service and talk with one of our pastors or decision counselors. We'd love to help you take those next steps. Let's pray that the Lord would lead us in the direction he's calling us to go. Father, I thank you. I thank you that we have the blessed privilege of being the body of Christ, that Jesus desires to live miraculously and powerfully on this earth today in ways that resemble, that reflect the way he lived on earth 2,000 years ago, loving people, serving, sharing the truth of your kingdom. And Lord, that we get to be that body. So praise you for Jesus. And Lord, I ask that you would stir us, God, to have a biblical view of being your church. Help us to not shy away from stepping into commitment and to live as parts of the body of Christ and experience your life flowing in and through us as the other parts of the body pour into us and as we pour into them. Lord, I pray that First Baptist Church Merritt Island would be a glorious reflection of the life of Christ as the body of Jesus. Lord, we love you and we praise you and ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Stand together.